Welcome to episode 10 of Asbury Pod with your hosts Amy Quinn and Joe Walsh. This week's guest is Dan Jacobson, publisher, editor, journalist for the Tri-City News and unstoppable Asbury Park cheerleader. The matters addressed in this podcast represent my own personal views and opinions concerning issues affecting the citizens of Asbury Park in my capacity as the deputy mayor of the city of Asbury Park. They do not necessarily represent the official position of the city or the official position of the Asbury Park City Council as a whole. I am developing and implementing this podcast in an effort to keep citizens informed. However, this is not an official City of Asbury Park podcast and does not, and I repeat, does not represent the official position of the city or the governing body. I'm Joe Walsh. And our non-paid intern, Ed. And Ed Ford. <laughs> Thanks, Ed. Um, there's still no money in the budget for you, Ed. Magic beans on the way. Yep. Uh, we are here with Dan Jacobson, who is the writer and publisher of Tri-City News and the Asbury Sun. And we are also being taped by Michelle Gladden, who is the writer for the Asbury Sun. It's November 3rd. We're going to talk about all things Asbury Park. You're listening to Asbury Pod, and because I have like six other events today, we're going to get right into it. You are the six votes shy of being the mayor. You have things to do. I was six votes shy of being the mayor, which brings up 2013, Dan. Mm. So 2013, I run for office. You and I talk about politics a lot. Right. Um, You want to talk about politics every time you see me. Right. I I had to wait till you went to the gym in the mornings before I could go to my car. So mm-hmm. I spent most of 2013 late to work. Okay. Just to avoid talking about the election. <laughs> just <laughs> FYI. What was going on in 2013? What year is it now? Oh, Henderson. I got you. Yeah. Okay, so yes. I, I would look out my window yeah. and be like, okay, it's up for the gym. Which you left usually at that time between 8.30 and 8.50. Mm-hmm. And then i text my work, Sam late. And then I would go to my car because on Deal Lake, Dan and I were neighbors for many, many years. And I would park, the only place to park on Deal Lake Drive is really in front of your, right. in front of your place. So, um, so you were thank you for me. making, uh, I was avoiding you that entire election. Because that's what I used to do with you. Yeah. You waited for me to go to work. Sure. So I'd have to avoid you. Yeah. yeah. So for um, people who are avoiding each other, you ran into each other an awful lot. Awful lot. Yes. Okay. So Dan, tell us for, we have a, a solid 10 listeners, four of which are, where Joe? Uh, two in Providence and maybe some in D.C. Okay. Hello, Provincetown in D.C. So, having said that, they don't know what Tri-City and the Asbury Sun is, so why don't you describe what it is, mm-hmm. when you created it. Tell us a little bit about that. Tri-City News is an alternative newspaper created and first published in 1999. We cover coastal Monmouth County, eastern Monmouth, with an emphasis on the three Tri-Cities, yeah. Asbury Park, Red Bank, and Long Branch. We cover politics, arts, and culture. Uh, we employ a very strong voice, a diversity of opinions. We like to tell it like it is. We like to promote the arts, promote Asbury Park primarily, and uh, do our service in that way. The Asbury Park Sun is a website that I started uh, 2011 just for breaking Asbury Park news. We've had some very talented editors there, 
the current one is Michelle Glad, who is to my left filming me, which I don't know if I should be nervous about to have an employee filming me, but that's all right. And uh, that's what we did. Before that, I was a lawyer. Before that, I was a politician. So, was the, so interesting, I don't know if a lot of people know this locally, that you were an, a lawyer and an assembly person and one of the youngest, weren't you? I was one of the youngest. I was elected in, eight, uh, 19, in 1899. Now, 1989, uh, I was 28 years old. I was also an Ocean Township councilman in the town next door. Two years earlier, elected at 25. And all during that time, I was in law school at Seton Hall in Newark. Wow. And then I was out when I was 30. I lost re-election when I was 30 years old. And what made you start Tri-City? Well, we, I should ask the question we always ask everybody, which is what brought you to Asbury Park? Bankruptcy or breakup? Dan? <laughs> <laughs> and there's a photo of me when I was about, I don't know, a year old with my mother in front of the old Steinbach's building. So she started it. Um, and, uh, you know, growing up next to Asbury Park in Ocean Township, I came here all the time on my bike as a kid. I remember the fireworks as a little kid. I remember getting my shoes at Tom McCann. I always was fascinated by it in all its forms, both up, down, and in between. So this has just been... Part of my life, my whole life. But when you moved here, Asbury certainly wasn't. Was Ninety-four, it. I moved here. Uh, great home on Deal Lake Drive. Um, it was just I really didn't care uh, what people said about the town. It was a beautiful vintage Art Deco home with beautiful water, lake, and ocean views. Still so is. It still is. So uh, you bought it, and um, here I am today, twenty-five years later. And when you bought it, you were you were practicing law. I was practicing law. Actually, I was practicing law just up the street on Park Avenue and. Corner Park Avenue in Sunset, the big old house there that's now a rental property. Oh, so wow. my law practice there too. Yeah. And then, how much later than that did you do Tri City? Let's see. New Tri City started in 1999. I was still practicing law. I still had a full time practice for a few years after that. So I did the paper and uh, the law practice simultaneously, which was kind of hairy and crazy. I just worked uh, pretty much 24 seven, and. Uh, and that's pretty much how it went. I'd say maybe about 10 or yeah, 15, now it's getting close to 15 years ago, I, I pretty much got out of law, kept a couple of clients, and, uh, and that was it. Now I'm totally out. And it's fair to say you're the savior of Asbury Park, right? Uh, fair to say? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if everyone else would think it's fair to say, but yeah, why not? Um, how many, just for people's identification, how many staff members do you have at Tri-City? Tri-City, how many staff members do we have? Let's see, we got... Uh, oh. And do you want to give them a shout-out? Although yes. I don't think any of them listen to the... Oh, Hannah might. A former staff member might. Oh, that's a former staff member. Yeah. Jason Thompson is the editor. Rachel Anna Dobkin, who is also a talented uh, musician, is our assistant graphics editor. Uh, I am the publisher. Michelle Gladden uh, is the editor of the Asbury Park Sun and also is a writer for the Tri-City News. We have wonderful... Delivery people, Asbury resident Chris Richo Adams is one of the distribution people, as well as uh, members of the Caravan family um, out of uh, Wall Township. And um, we also have a bunch of columnists. Ernesto Che Calari is our conservative alternative to our uh, any of our liberal or moderate commentary. He's the uh, column nobody reads. Everybody reads. I call him Che, Ernesto Che Calari. Uh, so he writes every week from the conservative uh, standpoint. It's interesting reading, I will say. We have a rotating cast of viewpoint columnists. We have Giuseppe Joe Grillo, who writes every other week. We have uh, Rafet Kaplan, and we have Gabriel um, Gabriel uh, Obrey, who are all excellent writers. Then we have a traditionally an LGBT column. We've had really great writers there, and the current occupant of that column is Jess Alamo, who is um, really doing a really nice job. She's really developed into a great writer. She's a comedian. People in the community. Um, just got stuck in your column in a little bit early on time, but 
She really nice. She really we do know. Really nicely. Jess we, does listen, so she'll get that message. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah she'll she get that message. Jess and I did this podcast twice. We did one night. It was the week I had lost power. Yeah. And um, we did it on a Friday night. And her, I, I had never had, is it called White Claw? I don't know. Some drink that she had brought. And Drinks. I drank a bunch of them and got drunk. Mm-hmm. So we couldn't air that podcast uh-huh. because I said wildly inappropriate. Yeah, we could. <laughs> yeah, mildly inappropriate. Yeah. Um, and then she comes back. So then we real then Joe's like, we can't, I can't drink during any of the podcasts anymore, which is fine. Of course, that, that, that makes sense. Joe and Heather were like, no more drinking during the podcast. So we put her back and she, we also couldn't air that one. And that was the one we did sober. So those are the mysterious, uh, is that Asbury Pod 6? Yeah. Five, yeah. Five, they'll, they'll come out in the 20 year retrospective. Yeah. Maybe when I'm off council, they'll yeah. come out. Um... I have to give one compliment to Joe because I meant to give it at the beginning of the show. Um, Ming, who who has uh, a shared nature. a shared universe, he's an amazing, amazing guy who does not only does his own podcast but also does people's podcast. Who says that um, you know you're getting you're, you you Joe and I do like killing sound. Like, you're doing such a good job. It took uh, eight episodes to figure out how to, these buttons work, so we're good. Yeah, cool. I take yoga with Ming periodically. Oh, that's he doesn't I'm, live around here. No, but he is a yoga like genius. Right? So every once in a while, I see him. So it, I don't know if we actually officially met. Okay, can I be selfish for one reason? Story I'm sick of hearing about in, in Tri City. Charter study in Red Bank, Dan. Charter, charter study in Red Bank. So they don't, don't want to do a charter study. So don't read it. They don't want to do a charter study. They'll do it eventually. Just just to get you to stop writing about it. That's the lesson <laughs> I learned is you write about it enough years, it happens. Uh, favorite story to cover. Uh, the favorite story to cover, uh, you listen, anything involving Asbury Park is always the favorite. Uh, okay. Anything surprising about Asbury Park, the personalities in Asbury Park. And then beyond that, which I write about a lot at this stage, because Asbury has become so powerful, I love the ripples of uh, the impact of Asbury outside its borders, how people who originated in Asbury end up moving to other towns, they start businesses in other towns, they're attracted here and they remake other towns, so you're starting to see that regional impact really all over the place and um, I like writing about that because that's really the ultimate end game of the work uh, it's to transform the uh, Tri-City region of Eastern Monmouth into a really progressive interesting place to live which it's getting there now uh, uh, at my work a woman who works for the um, Ocean County Board of Social Services we had a client in common when I called her and she said are you and me Queens from Tri-City News Oh, oh, there you go. There you go. Somewhere and she's so, Tom Zipper. There you go. We have a wide reach. Does that mean you're a staff member? No, no, basically not. But um, big fan of Tri City News. All right. Let me just say for the Amy Quinn fans listening to the podcast, I have not had an opportunity to blast Amy Quinn yet in the pages. And it's not because we're friends, I just haven't found a good reason to blast her. But I assure you, when that day comes, I'm sure I will it's, do it's it. coming it's and, around uh, the corner, no, Dad. I, I, it's around the happens, corner. Well, so far, I think you're doing a nice job. I think you're do you a have great it? leader. But uh, trust me, no one is no one is spared, including myself in the pages, by the way. Do you have, um, like people write obituaries in advance, do you have like the skeleton of that article already Absolutely ready not. to go? Absolutely not. I don't need to. I can, you know, when I see, when I see it, yeah. when, I, when I see it, I'll know to write it. But <laughs> I just want all readers to know that you know, no one is immune uh, from criticism. Again, I stress, including myself, I have people write in who can be very vicious, and uh, I have no problem bringing it. You know, every time I'm on the uh, in Tri City, Heather has a heart attack. She's always it's always like the, the whole 
anxiety takes like, is over. Is this the day? Yeah, is, is this the day? The day? <laughs> yeah. um, Dan, what did you want to be as a little kid? What I want to be as a little kid, boy, you know, I think back to that time, I think I wanted to be a, be a publisher of alternative newspaper. I think I wanted to be a state legislator. I think I wanted to be a lawyer. Okay, there you go. But check, before check, I check. thought of that, I think I wanted to build bridges. I'm not talking like, you know, metaphorically like a politician. I mean, like literally like building bridges, like, you know, little boy like with little trucks and stuff like that. Oh. I like bridges, and, and I always thought I'd be like a bridge builder. Little boys and trucks. So, like, from out of the womb, little boys and trucks. Like, I can remember my son at, like, one, mm-hmm. when a truck would we go down that. third. He was, like, uh, it's, like, it. innate. Matchbox cars, trucks. To my parents' credit, no soldiers with guns, none of that crap. So, I'm glad I didn't have that. I can't imagine if they didn't think to give me that, so. Okay. Um, the first and second paragraphs of most of your articles in Tri-City News. Are those cut and pasted, or do you change them up every so often? Well, they're macros in my brain. Okay. I just literally pour them out. Uh, I've been doing it for 20 years. And one of the things that I learned in politics is that you really do need to employ repetition. Because, you know, people are busy. Uh, they have a lot going on in their lives. Everyone thinks that uh, in journalism, I think when you, or, or media, when you write something or say something, everyone's paying attention. They're really not. So, you know, I find what you got to do is you got to repeat, you got to repeat, you got to repeat. And uh, I think it's worked. I think there's been a big impact on the paper in ways I've wanted to uh, impact the city and the region and politics. And uh, it also makes these stories easier to write when they're already in your brain. Amy, for those who are uh, listening who don't have not read the Tri-City, I mean, there's an inside joke to that. So what are, you, what are we talking about? Um, yeah. It's two paragraphs on how Dan saved Desiree Park. Well, no, I was thinking of other modules and the macros in my brain. We've got... And that is, and by the way, again, for everyone listening, let me set the record straight for those of you who don't know me. I assure you, it is tongue-in-cheek. It is an act. People who don't, who don't uh, know me, when they meet me, they're like shocked, including my wife when she first met me. And uh, a lot of it's an act. It's to get people's attention. Uh, but when, We have to tell the story of when you met your wife now. Yeah, that's a long story. Though. We'll t- I can eventually, but uh, if you want, I can. But uh, the whole point is, what I set out to do in the paper after having experience as a reporter myself before I went to law school, you know, a regular reporter and a journalist and a politician trying to get my message out for the media and the lawyer, I put all these strands together to figure out what's the most effective way to make an impact. And I found to do it, you have to do it with humor, you have to do it with a bit of an obnoxious, arrogant attitude, you have to slap people across the head journalistically at times to get them to listen and pay attention. But when you read the paper, once you get past the jokes, the faux, arrogant tone, um, the repetition of the paragraphs, there's serious points being made underneath uh, by myself, I think, as well as by other people who are writing. And that's really the magic of the paper. I think that's why people like it. I, and I think you're pretty politically astute as well. I mean, I'm, I'll give you credit for being politically astute and for taking a complicated issue, whether it's road diet, Georgia Rundle, whatever it is, yeah. and reducing it in a way that people understand the positions, well, yeah, you know, yeah. whether they agree with your position or not, they understand the positions. Well, what's fun about the paper for me is I, I kind of made up the concept of how this paper is going to work out of thin air because it's, it's unique. I've never seen anything like it. And it, it, it basically incorporates my various strands of professional experience. I mean, when you think about it, I was a state legislator, I was a councilman, I was a uh, regular news reporter. Um, the, one of the things I did as an attorney for seven years, I was the township attorney for Neptune Township, so I have a background in municipal law. Uh, so there's a lot going on. I've run political campaigns. I've been, I mean, I was an aide for Frank Pallone, who was a state senator when he first got elected in, in uh, you know, 84. 
And so there's a lot going on there that I can kind of weave together in this crazy format to do as I please. Um, one of the things in politics when you're running, certainly campaigning, you have to hit people, and I forget the number, but I'm going to be in the ballpark like seven times in seven different ways. So you have to hit them via mailer. If, if you even want them to begin to remember your name, forget your platform. They're, they're, they're never remembering that. But if you want them to begin to remember your name, when we were running back in 09, we and that was a little bit before the internet was an absolute possible necessity for campaigns. You had to hit them in a paper, in a mailer, you know, via Twitter, via Facebook, and there's a, you know there's a whole um, there's a whole format to hitting people so they can remember your name. If you look at um, prior to the internet, there's all this memorabilia about elections. Even the most dignified political candidate in the 30s, 40s, 50s, he's had like a corny pin, sure. you know, like with some witty tagline, Nixon for prosperity or something like that, that show up still in the antique stores around sure. here. So, the, you know, it's not, the internet just made it easier to deploy to a wider audience, but it's, it's the same concept. Sure. Here's my name, remember it, uh, and wear this around town. And 70% of the battle is probably name recognition, mm-hmm. right? Name recognition. Um... Hmm. So I'm going to skip around. Sure. I have a, um, so, you know, thinking about what you started out to do with Tri-City, you're, you know, uh, I think Ed and I in our little introduction referred to you as like a relentless Asbury Park cheerleader. Yeah. And so now, and we're joking about, you know, you claiming credit for this, but you know, really, you were, you've been a driver of oh, Asbury so, publicity. So he can't build up his ego. No, no, no. no. Uh, wait, I'm going to ask. I said, so now that we've, we, you, we've sort of achieved a certain level of success, you know, what do you think about what you see? Uh, are the things you like or the things you don't like? Well, let me go back and, and be serious for a second and drop the, uh, drop the shtick in the act. Mm. I think what I set out to do was to become a voice for this city. And when we established the paper in 1999, the downtown area was a ghost town. And, uh, and the waterfront, and the waterfront was a ghost town, and I had a few things to say about it. My big thing was I thought people were focused on the waterfront excessively, and what should have happened was the opposite of what everyone was thinking, and that the waterfront should be done last so there wouldn't be excessive speculation, and that the development of the city should be more organic and sustainable. I know it sounds like uh, produce and uh, agricultural products, but economically organic and sustainable. And that was going to be done building by building and block by block, both in the downtown area and in the neighborhoods. And I set the paper to be a voice for that. I also thought it was important to set the paper to be a voice for a city in this region that everyone thought was dead and mocked. So what would happen is, you know, I put things on the front page of the Pre- Asbury Park Press wouldn't. So if there was an artist in a loft in Cookman Avenue, they'd be on the front page. People would be shocked they existed. I used certain techniques purposely. This was a regional paper. I would always write about uh, things like I'd say, here in Asbury Park, we do this. If I was writing about Red Bank, I'd say, up in Red Bank. Uh, this is going on to make Asbury Park the center of this region and this voice. So what's really achieved by the paper, all the bullshit aside, the shtick aside, what I think I've been able to do, and I think my power regarding Asbury Park is I think I've been able to shape how people think about it, how people can think about how it could have developed, uh, a vision for it. I think I was able to provide a coherent voice to all different types of stakeholders, from a homeowner to local musicians and artists to developers could buy into and kind of have a coherence to it. And what I was looking to do was borrow from the most interesting progressive areas of the country, whether Berkeley, Brooklyn, Portland, Asheville, any little hint of it, I tried to promote the paper. Uh, And of course, later on, um, culture and society, through the hipster demographic, I'll call it, they actually ended up liking all that stuff. So 
that's really what I think I've been able to do, to be able to shape how people think. Uh, and I think that's had a major impact. Obviously, I'm not the savior of it. Today, uh, I'm really happy with how it's gone, but I recognize, like in all things on this, on this earth and in life, there's good and there's bad. And the measure for me with Asbury Park is, does the good continue to outweigh the bad? I think new, the new things that are good continue to outweigh the bad. What's the bad? Obviously, affordability is a classic problem in any place that comes back from the dead. And I think that's the biggest issue in terms of um, housing affordability. I wish I had a good answer for it. I don't. Um, in terms of the authenticity of it, you know, back in the days when we kind of owned the place with the old Asbury Lanes and we had Cookman Avenue to ourselves, I always knew that was inevitable that was going to go. And I always told people back then, you know, 15, 20 years ago, remember this scene. People still joke about me telling them. They said, I remember when you told me in 2000, remember empty Cookman Avenue, this place is going to be bustling and then you won't be able to get a parking space. But what happens today is because we have so much area we can expand in eastern Monmouth County, there's room for the overflow. So it's not like it's not like people are leave, have to leave the area and move away. They're actually still drawn to the area. And they make other places their home, and they're making transforming other places. And you can't really wreck a suburb, because a suburb is boring inherently. All you can do is improve it. <laughs> it's pre-wrecked. Well, and make it more interesting. <laughs> so like, all of a sudden, for example, I grew up in Ocean Township, the one of section, I always thought was a great section. And you know, when I started the paper, I envisioned as Asbury got too hot, people would eventually start going up Sunset Avenue to one of Mass and the great little you know, homes from the 20s and 30s and 40s, and that's happening. The key thing here is you have to realize, you know, Asbury Park is one and three quarters square miles. That's about the size of a neighborhood in any decently sized city. Everybody thinks we're like the size of like, you know, some large city, so they get upset when some section changes. If you're like in Nashville or uh, in Portland or in the Bay Area, um, or even less, even smaller cities, but are cities, you know, you move around. You'd be moving from the Neptune City area to the old Asbury area to the Atlantic Highland section of the city. And so that's why I look at it ultimately regionally. So, yeah, the first goal was to get Asbury Park restored back to where it was, where it now is a powerful cultural and economic engine. And that is triggering regional transformation, both culturally and economically, in a positive way. And I can write that off the top of my head anytime I want. Um. We'll transcribe it for you. That's a good idea. No, yeah. like <laughs> All right. One of so one of the reasons we were doing this podcast was to um, get eleven people more up to date on city government and how city government works, particularly the millennials, who I think everybody knows is a hard generation for me as somebody who mentors a number of young women that are millennials, um, and taking them through the entire government process and then. In order to get, it's like feeding kids vegetables. So in order to get um, that, we put on characters, right? Yourself, Laura Popol, who talked a little bit about, um, yeah, who talked a little bit, just kind of putting it all together. The work you did um, for the gay community when nobody was doing work for the gay community. Yeah. And you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, you know, it's funny now that it's been such, so much acceptance, you almost forget about it. But one of the other missions of the paper uh, was to always have a, an LGBT columnist from 1999, which was unusual in a paper in the middle of suburbia. And uh, it was something I felt important, that it was important, it was something I believed in as a civil rights issue. And one of the things, uh, you know, the, the, when I was in the state assembly in 1990-91 as a Democrat, it was a very tough time. There was a governor named Jim Florio, he was very unpopular, it was kind of miserable. At the very end, the last day of the lame duck session, all of a sudden, they told us they were going to post this bill that um, was going to uh, add to the New Jersey law against discrimination that you can't discriminate against someone um, because of their uh, sexuality, um, their sexual orientation. 
And uh, I was like, wow, okay, great. We're going to do something worthwhile. And all of a sudden, uh, they put up the bill for a vote. I proudly voted for it. I thought it was great. And I'll never forget that people in the, uh, I wrote about a column. I reprinted every so often. People up in the visitor's gallery, I looked up, and a lot of people my age, just really nice people I'd seen in the hallway before it passed, and they're like bawling or crying, including Laura Popel, who became, who started the uh, Pride um, uh, Festival in Asbury Park like a year later. But she was up in that in that crowd. I didn't know that until later on when I wrote about it. But it was just a very memorable time for me, uh, especially in a, as I like to say, say like a straight white boy from Ocean Township all of a sudden learned a big lesson there. So we start the paper with a very strong LGBT voice. We've often had um, LGBT staff. Uh, we always had the, the column. We call it the Rainbow Room. And you know, we early on before anybody, <clears throat> obviously it was for marriage equality, and I, I hammered the Asbury Park Press with their nonsense. They were against it for a while, and then. When it got a little politically hot, they were actually for a referendum when it came up in 2009. Now, of course, they're here in Asbury Park where there's money to be made from the LGBT community acting like they're, they're their big uh, um, supporters of it. So there's a lot of hypocrisy there. But yeah, I'm really proud of the work uh, you have know, done as a voice, as a straight person for the LGBT community in Asbury. And one other little point I like to make about that, I never really get to talk about that. Uh, in the early years, it was funny. Um, a lot of people would say, oh, it's a gay paper. And a lot of people would say, uh, oh, he's gay. And, you know, one of the things I refused to do in those early years uh, in response to that, I refused, and I had been married at the time, my first wife, I always refused to um, give any indica indication of my sexuality. I would never refer to my wife. I would never clarify whether I was gay or straight, even though a lot of people say, oh, he's gay, because I thought it would be an insult to my you know, gay friends in Asbury Park. Like, and so I never really cared. Back then, you know, it was weird. Even as, 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 as recent as 1999, 2000, 2001, I'd have you know, people outside Asbury Park saying, a lot of people think you're gay. You know, maybe you should say something in the paper. I'm like, why? I'm not just saying anything one way or the other. And uh, it was something I kind of felt good about. And um, so, yeah, that was a nice service. And again, luckily, I, in a nice way, I've forgotten about a lot of that stuff because there's been acceptance. We have marriage equality now. We have you know, Garden State Equality and Asbury well, Park doing so, their work. But and, I'm going to correct you a little bit in the sense that... You know, that was a pioneer vote. So right now the Supreme Court is taking up whether to expand um, safeguards to the LGBTQ community because I got a bunch of calls about it. Oh, let me say... Let me look, and I was able to say in the 1990s, New Jersey did that. So whatever yeah. the Supreme Court does, New, I mean, I live in New Jersey and I'm safe because of that. And when we say, you know, 20 years ago, New Jersey said yeah. we should expand it to protect LGBT yeah. um, members of the community. So... I mean, there is a lot of acceptance now here. Well, I'm talking about here. I'm yeah. not talking about nationally. And I'm certainly not talking about internationally. I mean, one of the things I like about the, the Rainbow Room column that, again, everyone has done what they want with it. Um, Jess is doing a great, is just doing a really good job. Her writing is, is, is excellent. Um, her predecessor, Luann Peterpaul, who's now a judge, uh, Luann would write at times, which I liked reading about and, and I thought was important, is about internationally the discrimination and the persecution of LGBT people who are I mean, literally like you know, killed, stoned, uh, persecuted in different parts of the world. And I thought that was important for people to understand that because I don't think a lot of people know that. You know, that it's right. important to be supportive as a human rights issue. So, yeah, I'm just talking about New Jersey and specifically in our region. But I bring it up because 20 years ago, again, even here, people would say, people think you're gay. You know, you should say something in the paper. I'm like, really? Why? So, my all time favorite, so I've been reading that paper for probably. 17 or 18 years, my favorite column ever, ever, I can say this unequivocally because I was so shocked by it, 
was a column by a guy named Stephen Frias who wrote for it before Luann. And he wrote a column how Wow Jim was the hookup center for gay men. And he was, do you remember this column? He was so graphic. He was like, if you want to hook up gay guys, go to the men's room at Wow Jim. And he, I, I don't know how you don't remember this. You know, your paper got banned from Wow. We, I don't remember that. Yeah, yeah. Jersey Strong no longer carries your paper. So when you used to walk into well, Wow. Well, no, that was because of that. All fairness to them, there was, a, there was some other, uh, in all fairness to them, it wasn't, I, I can't say it was banned because of that reason. It was a, I think it was a logistical thing about the papers being distributed there. Oh, okay. Uh, years ago, I, yeah. It, it, was not, it, was it felt not, like right no, after no, no, that no, no, column no, 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 about no, men no, hooking up no, in the bathroom. Out of, fair, out of fairness to them, there was nothing. You know, the distribution of free distribution paper, um, there's a lot of times logistical issues where to put it, um, whether people want, want it in their lobby. But to their credit, it absolutely had no relation. That was solely, solely logistical issue. I'd be curious. It's it's still if Wild Jim, if Jersey Strong Jim, I think they changed the name. It's now Jersey Strong. Yeah. If it's still the biggest hookup center for gay men. So gay men, if you're listening, let us know. <laughs> oh wait, I do remember. Oh right, right. I'm thinking. How could you? Not oh yeah, right. Like, on, was, like right, like meeting people on the treadmill risque. and stuff like that. Yes. Yeah, yeah. We'll it was ed. shockingly yeah. risque. Yeah, I remember right. being like, oh my god, this <clears> guy's right. got balls to write about this. Is that? I mean, that's the one out. Out uh, yeah, yeah, on 35 here? Yeah. That was a long time. And I was yeah. a member of the gym at the time. So, you know, every time I went to that gym, I'd like try to sneak a peek in the... Yeah, in the was like, <laughs> like, what the hell's going on? Well, wait, wait. I don't think he was saying anything went on in the facility. Oh, my recollection that. is that uh, he no, no, absolutely no, no. So. said so. that stuff went on I in that think facility. He was saying, I think he was saying about how he met people there. And that was great people. And then they went somewhere. Correct. Maybe. Maybe. And that is not my recollection. No, no, Because I remember thinking it was really risque. And they had a steam room. It was there. risque. I feel like you wrote about that. No, it was risque. He might have mentioned like, Don't something about his observations. Strong. But Don't yeah, 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 yeah. Um, <laughs> so one of the other things that we try to do with the podcast is humanize um, city staff. And, mm-hmm. and people get a perce- I know for me, people have a perception of me. And, and sometimes it, it, my life is easier if I can humanize myself. Uh, favorite movie and favorite book? God. You know, I don't... I, I, I Favorite movie, Citizen Kane, of course. Okay. I it's one of my favorite movies. I like the classics. It's in Kane, Casablanca. Um, just watched Easy Rider again. You know, and I like I like that type of type of stuff. Um, favorite book? I mean, there's so many books I like. There's a there's a Somerset Maugham book I love called Moon and the Sixpence. I like to reread that. There's some Graham Greene books I love. There's a, some of his books is fiction and nonfiction. There's a little book he wrote where he got to know the uh, the general of Panama, left wing military general who time the Panama Canal, getting to know the general. I think that's that's a cool book. I like to read read that. I read so many books I can't even remember what I read. I mean, I just I don't watch television, but um, those are the ones that, that jump out at me as, as uh, particularly good books. All right. So one of the questions from the public: Would what, what do you see yourself doing after tri- after Tri City News? I don't have the slightest idea. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's funny the, the the paper. It's been twenty years. There's a certain rhythm in putting out a paper 48 weeks a year, and we have it down. Uh, it's it's you gotta know what you're doing to do it, but we have a nice flow. So I, I really feel stressed out, but it's week to week. It's a Wednesday to Wednesday thing. The paper comes out on Thursday, so when the paper's done on Wednesday night, I'm already looking to the next week. Like I'm already I'm thinking about what the stories for the next week, what's the advertising, and often when the paper comes out on Thursday morning, if you ask me what's in it, I can't I can't remember. I mean, it's gone out of my brain. Or, you know, and I'm looking ahead, so. You know, it's such a, it occupies a lot of my mind, so I really, really don't know. I'm, you know, at this stage, I'm going to keep going as long as it'll pay the bills. How do you feel about, like, the future of publishing in general? I think the weekly paper is interesting. I remember the first time I came across, like, an alt-weekly was when I was living in Virginia, the Seaville Weekly in Charlottesville. Sure, Charlottesville. 
And so I think your paper still has wide readership while traditional papers are shuddering all over. Although recently, I had given up on the Asbury Park Press for a long time, but recently they had they won an award for some interesting local investigative reporting vis-a-vis um, fines, municipal fines yeah. resulting from police. And I was surprised to see that because I sort of written them off as like sort of a Gannett sort of national generic paper. But still, what you know, you know, as a publisher, what are you thinking about? You know, maybe this is too serious as a podcast, but the world of public news and writing in general, getting information to the people in this fashion. Uh, I mean, I feel that the Tri City and the weeklies are doing well, and there's a future there for that. But um, hard to say there's a future. You know, I, I, uh, you know, it's it's everyone knows what's happened to print media, uh, the decimation by the internet. Uh, it gets a lot more granular than that. It's a true fracture, fracture like a fracturing of people's attention. Um, social media is destroying people's attention. Um, everything is is getting uh, your attention is getting ripped apart every which which way. So you know I don't know what the future is of these print products. The the counterintuitive contrarian part about it is that you know as people um, are on their iPhones and you're just bombarded with information. After a while, it gets too much. And if I can get someone to pick up the paper when they look at the cover, I got their attention. I can't look away. They can't put it away. And uh, there's an advantage to that. There's a competitive advantage to that. So far. Uh, there still is, print is still eroding. But, you know, it's funny. In, in various industries in the course of economics, uh, eventually an industry gets de- decimated. But sometimes in an industry, uh, decimated by new technologies, but often there's something left that's still like a slice, like a, I don't know how to say it, it's almost like a, uh, a specialty, like niche of an industry. Like, so for example, our, the, United, the United States steel industry got decimated. But there was still like a niche of like steel makers. Um, the record industry got decimated. Suddenly there's a niche for vinyl. You know? A so huge maybe, one. Yeah, yeah, so maybe, and no one would have predicted that. So maybe I, I'm noticing that, you know, still there's some interesting looking magazines that are around. Suddenly I noticed that billboards are becoming more popular. Like on Route 35, you see more advertising on billboards, which is really the equivalent of what we do. It's not like online at all. So you, you, you never know if it's, things come back a little bit, but. Um, there's no question what social media has done is destructive uh, to our society, to our body politic, to our politics, to uh, really to everything. And when I saw it coming, I didn't think it was that great. I mean, I, I, I've been a big, I mean, it's entertaining, but I think the cost that way, the benefits. I think, uh, I agree to some, I, 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 you know, after years of abandoning pa- uh, paper subscriptions, I've given up on internet news because it's, it's too much and I've re-upped a weekend subscription of the Times just to read. Yeah. Quietly, because I can't do the same on the internet. Is, like you said, it's too much. Even when you're reading, trying to read a little bit on the online, there's ten other. It's linking to ten other articles in the one article. So I never actually finished yeah. the one I started there's out. A certain piece to taking a print product and reading it and being disconnected and forcing yourself to disconnect, which is so hard to do for people now. Favorite column. Hmm? Favorite column. Favorite column. You've ever written. And I'm also going to uh, give Dan credit. He did not ask for questions ahead. And you and Hampton, I think, were the only two who didn't ask for questions ahead. You know, again, the problem with me describing my favorite column is, as I said, I often forget about what's in the paper, you know, this week's paper. Uh, So I can't even... How about a favorite issue to cover? Well, like I said, I love reading, writing about Asbury Park and regional transformation. You know, and, and the favorite issues are, you know, when something funny happens, like in politics, where I can, like, where something is just so perfect and it's like so ridiculous. Like I love writing about that, you know. 
Like and you love writing about hypocrisy when you yeah, see it. Yeah, I can't. I, I love it. So, uh, you know, so there's really no, in 20 years, a favorite column, I don't know. I, I'll tell you one thing I think it was the favorite things I ever published, which is memorable for early readers of the paper. I'd say back in 1999, I wrote something everyone knows about the legendary Henry Vaccaro, who, you know, I'm very friendly with. I love Henry. He's a riot. Great storyteller. Um, potentially great source if I ever want to write some fiction. Great source for characters. So Henry, I read something and Henry was pissed off. So he left a voicemail uh, on our phone saying, you know, um, hey, Dan, it's Henry Vaccaro. Fuck you and fuck your goddamn newspaper. And he said something like, you know, he raised. <laughs> Which is very Henry he could, Yeah, and he said, he condemned what I wrote. And he said, have the balls to print this, you fucker. And I was listening to him. I was like, I kept repeating. I kept playing it back and playing it back. So I have the balls to print this, you fucker. I was like, yeah, yeah. I said, you know what? I'm going to do it. So I put it. It was like, I don't know, year one or two. The paper was maybe 36 pages long. So we put it in the back around page 34. I put a caption on it. Greetings from Henry Vaccaro. And every so often, his <laughs> yeah. son, Henry Jr., will repost it online. It's very funny on, on, on Facebook. And that was a riot because it really, um, people went crazy because it was, it was so over the top. And uh, it was very funny. It was very memorable. I still tease Henry about it. I ran into him in the old Perkins pancake later that week. And he said, I can't believe you printed that. I said, well, you told me to print it. Of course I had to print it. But that was a memorable one. It was very, very funny. A restaurant or business in Asbury that has closed that you miss? You know, it's, I'll tell you one, but it's a, off the top of my head, I was thinking about this the other day. The old Emeralds and Pearls. It was a cafe. I don't think, I think it was before your time. Um, Ed Johnson, former mayor, he would know it. He would go. Uh, two women opened it. It was a little cafe, a little gift shop on the corner of, I guess, right behind the Steinbeck's building, right uh, on the corner where Pascal and Sabine is, kind of that corner. Um, and they had a little gift shop. They had a little cafe. And they were there early. No one was around. Eventually didn't make it. And the reason I miss it, I was just thinking the other day about how that first summer I had the paintbrushes working around the clock. And on Saturday nights, I would go there. There'd be a table outside. I'd have my laptop, a little table with a chair. The place would be empty. It'd be a warm Saturday night on the, in the summer in Asbury Park, like 9, 30, 10 o'clock. They were still open. Warm, and I'd sit there writing, and there was nothing around. Nothing. I remember, I remember actually sitting back and looking up at Steinbach's, looking up at the natural gas building, looking around the street, just kind of taking it in like a snapshot, remembering this and this feel. Because I always thought it would be amazing of what would come later. So I miss them. You know, I miss that, that they were here and that was and that was here. Um, and again, you know, there's... Uh, I miss Sunny Southern Cuisine. That was wonderful. Was I, did, yeah. was I was going to say, you, I think I the first time I met you was at uh, B Green. B Green. Well, B Green is, is now... Um, uh, Twisted Tree and Clark Mitchell. I miss him. Clark Mitchell started being green man to Twisted Tree. His formula has since had a couple few owners that now own it, so it's still in existence on Clifton Avenue with a lot of his formula. But Clark was a, a great business leader, a great guy. He moved to Asheville, where he always wanted to live in North Carolina. Um, for those of you who know Clark, he uh, real liberal guy, you know, real, real and loving vegan guy. vegan before, vegan before. remotely was trying So he started a business down in Nashville. He thought he'd start a cafe. He started making his crackers in the commercial kitchen area and it grew and it grew and it grew and they're all over. I saw him in Philadelphia, seen him in Whole Foods. I called him the cracker king of the Southeast. You know, I teased him. I said, the only reason you're doing it, the only reason you're, you're, you're making money and you're getting rich is because you're in an anti-union state where you don't have to unionize your workers. So, you know, he's, he's, I miss him a lot. Yeah. Biggest issue you see facing Asbury right now? I think you touched on it, and I think I agree. I, I think the it's biggest, the affordable, well, there's a few issues. Listen, a few, you know, one of the reasons I started the Asbury Park Sun is so, you know, there was a lot of complaints, and I, I heard them 
about how the paper you know, didn't cover some of the pressing issues in Asbury Park. And I would explain to people, listen, I started a paper with a different type of mission. It's arts, it's culture, it's regional. Um, I didn't want to start a paper to compete with our local paper, The Coaster. That's not what, it, that's not what it's about. If I had a paper like that, I'd be covering, the, covering those more granular issues. And so we started the Asbury Park Sun to help give coverage of that. So the issues are, you know, the real issues of life, a little different than what the paper does. It's, it's affordability. It's obviously public safety. People are getting shot. Uh, it's education. It's job training. Those are truly the, the biggest issues. Um, in terms of general you know, development issues and cultural issues, uh, obviously, um, you have, again, separate from what I can, those issues I just listed, which are the real, real world issues, the real important issues. Other issues, you know, you, you don't want, you want to try to keep as much authenticity here as possible. And um, I think we're ahead of the curve on that. It just takes different forms. You know, like back in 2000, Michelle Schaefer, who I miss with the old, uh, um, the old B Gallery, she was a trailblazer on Cookman Avenue. She was the first gallery to open. Uh, and it was back uh, in, I think, May of 2001. And, um, you know, I miss her. And that was authentic as it gets. Uh, the old Asbury Lanes with, with, uh, you know, with Mel and uh, Jen and uh, Tina, that was authentic as it gets. And now it's different. Now we keep going up to a higher level. And we're staying ahead of the curve because I think we're just attracting quality, creative people, like what Danny Clinch is doing at Transparent Gallery, what Jen Hampton is doing at Parlor and over at the Wooden Walls Project, what Tom and Lois White are doing with Exhibit 9, um, with, uh, you know, with the type of people we're getting here now. It's, it's, a, it's a very accomplished level of creativity, uh, and that makes our city stronger and attracts more creative people to the region. So now, like the kids and the people are up and coming in creative fields, they can you know, get a lot of good things out of Asbury Park, get noticed, get known. They can live somewhere nearby. They don't have to live in Asbury Park anymore. Um, eventually, there's other venues now for them around the region. Um, so that's the key, to keep ahead of the curve, to, to keep some type of authenticity. And I think we're doing it in this, in this way of, of attracting this higher level of creative people who are accomplished. Do you want to go through? Yeah. Um, we've read a couple of the questions from the public that you solicited. Biggest obstacle you think faces Tri-City News? Mm, the biggest obstacle facing Tri-City News? I think the biggest obstacle facing the paper is like what every paper is, is facing. Um, you know, can you survive economically? I, you know, we've done so in 20 years. The paper's done well. Um, you know, uh, as I like to put in our little house ad, we call it. You know, we've, I set the rates 20 years, over 20 years ago in 1999. The rates literally have never changed. It's, it's pretty, pretty wild. Kept the overhead low so it's affordable for people to advertise, and thus it's affordable. Thus we have revenue in to pay the bills. We have no um, we have no salespeople on staff, which means there's no commissions, so that keeps the rates low. And we've been fortunate that you know a lot of people love the paper advertisers, and they they renew for a significant period of time. So the biggest challenge for every business is economics. Can you stay in business and pay the bills? And so far, I think we're yeah we can do that. Um, and outside of that, you know, look, if I ever get bored doing it, I'm going to stop doing it. You know, can plenty of notice to all the employees, but whenever I get bored, I back off a little bit. I do something else, and you know, I, I try to try to keep it uh, where I don't get um, burnt out. So, you know, the biggest challenge I think is economic. Biggest story you never ran? God, I can't remember any story that I never ran. Yeah, that seems in, in, inconceivable. Right? Well, because you know, it's funny. There's, there's, what, you know, what, what people do what, people threaten? I bet people threaten to sue you. When you, only when you once, only once. I, only okay. had, I was only threatened to be sued once. I had a, a disagreement with uh, a couple years ago. Um, no, no sense dragging his name into it because I think otherwise I think he's a good guy. From you know, from what I understand, he does a lot of charitable work. But I had a disagreement with someone who 
um, uh, regarding the ballot initiative uh, in Asbury Park that you may recall, Amy. Oh, I do. And uh, so we, you know, we went we went at it, and there was a lawsuit threat, which I published. I published the threat. Um, it didn't happen. I think it was the heat of the moment. Um, you know, he made his he made his uh, uh, positions plain in the referendum. I made mine. Uh, the referendum uh, lost. Uh, you know, which so he his side lost, and, and you know, not necessarily to me, but in his public statements, I, I thought he was pretty gracious in defeat, actually. So, you know, I wish him well, and, um, but that's the only time. You know, I, I try to be careful about it. You know, I'm a lawyer, I, I follow you know, defamation law and developments on it, and you know, I don't, it, look, I don't want to be sued for a few reasons. One is just I want to be sued. You know, you know if, I, if I am, I can handle it, I can deal with it. But the other reason is for fundamental fairness, and you know, one thing I knew from being a lawyer is, if I'm careful in what I write, and uh, I know it's not defamatory or libelous, then I know I'm being fair. And of course, I always give free reign for people to respond if I criticize them. So I know there's, there's fairness in that way. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so there's really never been a problem with that. It, it, regarding stories not published, uh, the other thing I was about to say about the paper, which, which you know, people may not understand who've been critical of it for me not covering certain stories, the reason the paper worked and it had an impact and why it survived economically is it has its own niche and its own mission in certain areas. I pick and choose them. It's not a general interest newspaper like The Coaster, who does a great job, or the Asbury Park Press used to be, um, which I never liked. Um, so there's a lot of stories I just wouldn't, wouldn't cover. I just would not do. If I had been the editor of the Asbury Park Press, there probably would have been stories I would have delved into, um, would have had the power and the resources to do it. But you know, I have limited resources, and um, it's a lot of opinion. And uh, so it really has never been an issue. Um, you know, the question is whether or not to, the question never, you know, it's almost like whether or not to say certain things or whether or not to, to write certain things. And, and you've never wrote something that you regret. You regret it after you wrote it. I really can't think of anything. I really can't because I, if there's something that bothers me, I think about it, I, I hash it through. And, um, yeah, uh, you know, and, and you know, the reason why I say that is you know, one of the funny things about the papers think, you know, we, people think, you know, we're very rough, and we are, but those who read the paper, you know, stop and think about it. There's a couple uh, rules I set up. We can be very harsh and very critical, but we're not going to be critical of any private business because they're private business. I mean, you know, if, if other newspapers want to write a negative story about a private business because that's what's going on, it's the fact of some private business did something wrong, they can do that. I also don't try to take down anybody and destroy them reputationally or professionally. I mean, I guess I, I guess I could, some of the politicians, I may know some things about law where I can maybe start charging them with ethics violations and things like that. I avoid that. I don't want to be responsible for that. So I hit hard on issues. I hit hard on people being stupid or hypocritical. Um, I, I contain that criticism to people in public office where I think it's fair game. I contain that criticism to large economic units like large corporations, which I think is fair game. And I also will do it against media outlets who have their own voice, which I think is fair game. But you really don't see me, you know, attack. You never see us attacking private businesses or uh, individuals who outside of that realm. So there's never really a regret uh, too much. So um, yeah, I'm pretty pretty proud of the work we've done. So we have to wrap up because Jan's got to start selling books, and we always want to thank Jan for giving us access to tape this podcast. Right. Did I miss anything, Joe? Uh, no, I mean, I think we had a... I know, we've we done keep... another hour. Yeah. I know. So for the people who sent me uh, questions that I didn't get to, one... Um, I'll be back. back. Yeah, we should. So I, should. Yeah. I am going to ask your favorite employee, former or present, at The Sun or Tri-City. I don't like any of them. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Hannah. Yeah, take that. Sorry. <laughs>
Oh, Hannah Walker asked that? Oh. <laughs> Hannah Walker asked that. Um, who also, I'm going to give one other. So if I had to do my second favorite column ever in Tri-City, um, she wrote a column. So when I grew up, you came out as bisexual because you were testing the waters, right? right. You wanted to see if people were going to freak out. And if people were going to freak out, you knew you weren't going to be like, I'm not really bisexual, I'm gay. <laughs> so, so, you, so we all said, you know, we were bisexual. And so over the years, I had a hard time when people would say they were bisexual because I'd be like, oh, you're really gay, right? You just yeah. haven't come out yet. Um, and she wrote a column, I think, that actually, you know, changed the way I thought about being bisexual because I had grown up in the 90s in, in the era of, and you can ask, I think, any lesbian my age or older, that's what we all did. We all tested the waters to figure out who was going to freak out. And she really wrote a column about being bisexual. Yeah, really being bisexual. Yeah, and I, it, 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 it resonated because it, it wasn't at all, this is, this is me test. it wasn't at all her saying I'm gay. Yeah. It was her She's saying bisexual. I'm bisexual. You know, before I was about to... to uh, add something after my joke about my employees and, and got off to that interesting part. But I did want to say what I was about to say after joking around, I don't like any of them. The truth is, the employees I've had, the people who work for us, one of the reasons the paper does well is it's really a talented group. I mean, you've seen it in the writing, people who know me, the people who've been involved, um, the people at The Sun, like uh, Michelle Gladden and Molly Mulshine, who started it with me, and Jill Bartlett, like even the three of them are like so committed to like service journalism. Um, Jason Thompson, the current editor, is a tremendously talented guy who does a lot of other businesses. Stephen Freud is the initial editor, a, a great writer. Our columnists have, have, um, are excellent. Uh, some of our columnists and people who, who work for us are renowned, like Olivia Nuzzi, who uh, is in the White House, um, right now in the White House, is the chief of the uh, Washington Bureau for New York uh, Magazine, is often on national television. She's only like 26. She started with us as a senior in high school. Um, Molly Mulshine also, I think, is going to go on to some great work, too. So we've really had an incredible staff, and it, that's been a big part of the fun to develop and a big part of the success, all jokes aside about them. So I want to thank our 11 listeners. Well, I, no, I have one last question. Okay. Because our 10th listener. We, we, you know, we're going to get a T-shirt. We're getting a T-shirt for, for that. So Kathleen, you know, uh, Instagram me a question. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So go she, for it. Um, she wanted to ask, hold on. So I was not checking my text. I was trying to con- confirm it. Well, she wanted to ask about, you know, of course, you know, asking us at the end is totally unfair. And she's like, well, make sure to ask, uh, you know, Dan about his, his thoughts about Bradley Cove. <laughs> of course. So, just so we, we should end it there. Our, Thanks for our coming. Our 10 right? listeners. Um, <laughs> Kathleen is one of the really pioneer activists um, that got us to what is going to be I think an amazing, amazing boardwalk on the North End. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she's a, a environmentalist in Asbury, and um, I, I think really helped bring both the public, the council, and the developers to what is got, uh, granted during a very uh, adversarial process, and and but but has resulted in what I think is going to hopefully knock wood in twenty twenty. Not wood. Managing expectations, maybe not. But um, what I think is going to be a boardwalk that is going to be environmentally friendly, beautiful, True. and um, uh, accessible. Accessible. And I think the Bradley Cove issue. Listen, here's a great example of writing about something ad nauseum to make it work. Like you said, I repeat this stuff all the time. Bradley Cove, I've been writing about for a decade ad nauseum, repeat it, repeat it, repeat it, just to keep pounding it so people would pay attention to make sure it's at the top of the agenda. What it is is it's that stretch of land right 
um, at the northern boundary of Asbury Park. It's it's uh, where iStar has development rights, which they inherited. I like iStar a lot. I like the work they do. I think they've been terrific. Um, but in this case, they inherited these development rights where they could build 15 townhouses in the Ocean Avenue right away, kind of from the sewage treatment plant to the Asbury Lock Arbor border in front of the senior citizen tower. It's awful, and uh, it would be an awful development. Uh, it's something I've opposed. I have to give credit to the people who really got this issue going, Joyce Grant, who's an activist in Asbury Tower, as well as Joe Werner, who's the former chair of the Surf Rider, a former council person of yours, mm-hmm. Andy, who unfortunately had some personal stuff in his family that he had to attend to, um, and uh, we lost him as a councilman, and he was just developing tremendously. But uh, Joe and uh, uh, Joyce really got me into the issue. I thought there was nothing that could be done about it. Joyce kept writing me at the paper, kept calling me, I looked into it. Joyce is also one of our amazing environmental activists in Asbury Towers. Yeah, unbelievable. Um, So she she and Joe got it going. Kathleen is now taking it from here. The question is always economics, and Amy, you're working on it now, is is there some deal that could be cut to to figure out economically a way to preserve this land? And I will say, on on, Brian Schripp, Get I Star, I think they really want to do it. and it's a matter of all you guys are now trying to figure it out. It's tough, but it, but by keeping on top of the agenda through the paper, through a lot of the actions of Joe and Joyce and people like Kathleen, uh, who've done the real hard work, I just sit around and write about it. I mean, seriously, it's not that hard to do. Everyone got out there and did the hard work. It's been at the top of the agenda to the point where it's a bit of a fever pitch, and that hopefully can be preserved. And, you know, uh, I just think it would be a blunder not to preserve it at many levels. For iStar in particular, I think it would be a public relations debacle, so I hope they figure it out. Ditto. Thank you to everybody listening. We will return. Thanks to Dan for joining us today. Pleasure. And I'm I'm going to jinx it, but I'm going to say with John Moore, who doesn't know what a podcast is, but he's coming online. Oh, he won't even know. Don't tell him. Can you have a hidden hidden microphone for more? It'll be perfect. Get him in here. Hide all the microphones. Let him start talking. Very, very interesting. Yeah, I shouldn't even come to that one. I'll just sit in in the back. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, listen. be extraordinarily interesting or every literally other word is going to be fuck shit motherfucker go fuck yourself this is new jersey uh thank you everybody thanks michelle gladden for taping thanks dan for coming out thanks for everyone for sending us questions we'll be back in two weeks yep. thank you everybody bye Pod gratefully acknowledges the support of words asbury park's only independent bookstore offering new and gently used books for all readers words also hosts a range of literary and social events for adults and children Located on 623 Cookman Avenue, Words is open every day save Tuesday from noon to 5. Stop by and say hello.